causing that kind of micro trauma to the area, we know that that compounds the results of peptides. When you combine the microneedling plus the peptides, we get much better results. So people can apply the peptides topically. They're more effective when done in a topical way with the microneedling. Welcome to the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear from Dr. Amber Krogsrud. Today's topic is novel peptide therapy options to boost mitochondrial health for brain power, body composition, and even hair growth. And we're going to get into NAD. Welcome to another episode of the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today we have on our show Dr. Amber Krogsrud. Dr. Amber is a licensed naturopathic doctor at Metro MD Institute of Regenerative Medicine in Los Angeles, California. She's trained in regenerative medicine, detoxification protocols, hormone testing and treatment, bioidentical hormone therapy, peptide therapy, and IV nutrient therapy. She also has a practice in Redondo Beach, California, where she specializes in bioidentical hormones and peptide therapy. Dr. Amber is also a member of the International Peptide Society and has completed the peptide therapy certification training through the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. So welcome, Dr. Krogsrud. Thank you. It's so good to be here. We're kindred spirits because we both uh, work with women, work with hormones, and peptides are just a whole new exciting topic that we get to share with the world today. They absolutely are. I can't, I can't wait to get to that. But I think let's open talking about mitochondria. So I recently had Dr. Terry Walls on as a guest. She's a colleague and friend also from Iowa. And we talked about her Walls protocol that she strategically created to fuel her mitochondria with food. Above and beyond diet today, I want to get into what nutrients, even supplements, you believe are best for fueling our mitochondria. But let's, let me first start by asking you what our mitochondria are and what they do. Yeah. So it's really interesting. I have this conversation with a lot of my patients bring up the word mitochondria. And a lot of times I kind of get like a blank look, like what are the mitochondria? (laughs) Uh, Going back to, you know, eighth grade biology of what they are, but they're really uh, the example I like to give is they're the powerhouse of the cell. So I live in LA and we have, you know, multiple uh, places where we generate power here. But if, if those were to all, discontinue producing power at this very moment, the entire city of LA, which is like a cell, would uh, not function appropriately. All of the other things that would happen, I wouldn't be able to charge my laptop or my phone or run the dishwasher, all of those things. And so a similar thing happens uh, in our mitochondria. They are the powerhouse of the cell. They're making ATP energy for the cell to do all of its functions to protect itself. So it really has, the mitochondria have a dual function. They protect the cell from damage, and they also produce energy. And so uh, when they're so focused on one task, they're maybe less efficient at the others. It's really important to have this robust energy production of ATP so that all of our cells are functioning appropriately. And, you know, what we see is... uh, as we age and as there's more oxidative stress and our mitochondria quit working as effectively producing that ATP uh, to fuel the cell to do its work, you know, we end up experiencing things like uh, lethargy, brain fog, fatigue, because we know that the two uh, cells that have the most mitochondria are the nerve cells, so the brain, a lot of nerve tissue, and the muscles, 
Mm. Right. Which is why in a lot of these conditions like MS and ALS, you know, even like fibromyalgia, chronic pain, where we can trace that back to a mitochondrial dysfunction that's happening. Even autism, there's a lot of literature out there right now and some clinics that specialize in autism and they're using a mitochondrial based approach um, because we're identifying, wow, you know, when we're having nerve conduction, nerve issues, cognitive things, maybe it's related to mitochondria and we're finding that it is so uh yeah i i think it's it's not really something that most people probably wake up thinking about how can i help my mitochondria today (laughs) but the more that i learn about it and the more that you know as practitioners we we learn about it we view the world through this lens of wow how we how can we support these systems and help our patients educate them on how to support their mitochondria producing energy you know really protecting and preventing illness through a mitochondrial lens that's awesome so how do we do that so (laughs) so how do we support our mitochondria maybe let's start from a lifestyle standpoint and then we'll get into nutrients and supplements yeah so there's a lot of things that can really uh support mitochondrial function one of the things that has been uh, researched is fasting that can actually be really supportive. So intermittent fasting, doing a, a couple day fast can kind of recalibrate uh, those mitochondria. They get really efficient. Our cells become you know more efficient in that state. Uh, one of the things that I like to do lifestyle wise is uh, a red light. So I actually have one sitting right by me here that I'll turn on when I'm working. What we know that red light, that wavelength does is it can actually help to activate the mitochondria to work more effectively, uh, which is really pretty cool if you think about light as a, you know, bio charger of, of our cells. Uh, There's many other things, you know, looking at diet, looking at antioxidants, uh, really fortifying the diet uh, or supplementation if we can't get it through diet with things that are going to protect the mitochondria from damage because we have DNA in our mitochondria too, right? We learn about that in in med school and uh, not only does the nucleus have mitochondria, but the, uh, the nucleus have DNA where the mitochondria does as well. Yeah, so it, it just becomes really important to add in all those antioxidants, and we can talk about some of those antioxidants. Let's go back to red light therapy because <laughs> I'm kind of a podcast yeah. junkie. I've listened to a lot of podcasts, and recently I listened to one that talked a lot about red light therapy. And so um, I am, again, not an expert. I, I hope to bring on an expert one day uh, to yeah. discuss that. But tell us how you utilize yours. So when you say you turn that on when you're working, like how many minutes, how many times a day, how are you utilizing that? And how do you feel that you've benefited from it? Great question. I love talking and sharing with this uh, with my patients and I think even better to share it out to the masses on a podcast. So um, I use mine for about 15 to 20 minutes a day. There's diminishing effects using it much longer than that. Using it for like two hours is probably not going to, you know, produce a massively, uh, a massive effect, but it's really a small threshold. I don't know if you've, have you seen those, 
caps that you can get for oh, hair yeah. regrowth. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I yeah. use one, not the cap, I, a larger machine. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. yeah. So uh, you know, I use my red light for hair regrowth and for skin in a similar way that the cap does. So I just you know lay my head against it and you know Makes read sense. a book or something. So um, in the and then I'll do uh, micro needling on my skin. I'll use it to help regenerate the collagen in my skin. So. And then what I'll also do is kind of lean my my lower back because I'll just get, you know, kind of muscle tension from exercising or sitting, working at a desk a lot. And I actually find that it does because it supports mitochondria. It can help with muscle repair post-exercise or just sitting a lot. So it can help with muscle tension that way. But it's, Yeah. What's your experience? Well, not much yet, but I think that's the main application that many individuals are familiar with, like recovery, repair. But I'm more fascinated. So I have used it for skin or for hair (laughs) um, regrowth, stop some hair loss, but I haven't used it on my face, like for my skin, for collagen. So I look forward to, I'd like to purchase an in-home machine that looks very portable, very... I'm very easy. portable yeah super easy to uh yeah i you know you could travel with it if you really wanted to <laughs> very cool thank you for that tip i didn't really think of that as supporting mitochondrial health but obviously it makes sense that it would it cool does. so let's talk about the antioxidants you were mentioning so let's go into some of those what are yeah. your top maybe top few sure that you recommend so we'll, we'll walk through a few. Uh, the one that's really commonly known because of statin drugs is CoQ10. Mm-hmm. So that's the one. Uh, CoQ10 is that coenzyme. It carries electrons into the electron transport chain, which is what's happening in the mitochondria to make that ATP. So it's a really important piece uh, for the process of generating energy in the cell. Uh, and... When we don't have enough CoQ10, our cell, our mitochondria is more susceptible to damage, oxidative stress, so that's super protective. So I like to, well, especially if they're on a statin drug, but even not, uh, adding in some CoQ10. It's not really something that's found in a ton of foods. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, Yeah. it's really something that you have to supplement with. Uh, And then a couple of the other ones... I love alpha, alpha lipoic acid and then acetyl L-carnitine. And yes. acetyl L-carnitine is the one that's touted as, you know, the fat burning uh, <laughs> uh, nutrient. And it's found in meats. Uh, for someone who's vegan, they're probably not going to get a ton of L-carnitine in their diet. So that one might be better supplemented for them. And, you know, we learned this in medical school too. What L-carnitine does is it takes those fatty acids in our adipose tissue, shuttles them into the mitochondria to be burned for energy. Kind of like coal in a train is how I describe that to my patients. It shovels that coal and not that a lot of trains still use coal, but you get the <laughs> analogy that that's required for that train to, to go. Absolutely. I, I love using analogies too, because I think that can really help. 
to understand what's happening with this entire world that's in our in our body that we aren't seeing on a daily basis let's talk a little bit about doses of those so um, interestingly recently i've had a lot of patients with breast cancer and i know there have been Mm -hmm. several studies linking low well I, i would just say just demonstrating that patients with breast cancer tend to have lower levels of coq10 and it's so interesting in my practice that when i test these patients many of them are indeed low Mm-hmm. So I typically start patients on about 100 milligrams of CoQ10. Now, if they're on medications, like you mentioned, like a statin medication or blood pressure medications, diabetes medications, how I was trained, and you can tell me what your thought process on this is, is to add another 100 milligrams for each of those drugs because that depletion is going to be worse with the yes. addition of each medication. So some patients will put on 300 milligrams of CoQ10, just monitoring blood pressure because it can it's a healthy way to help lower blood pressure, but if patients yes. don't tolerate it, then we can back down on the dose but that's typically what I'm recommending yes I usually start at 100 milligrams as well and then you know contingent upon other medications that they're on I think that that's yeah I completely agree with that protocol uh alpha lipoic acid I also use as well the I I the only downside that I find with that is it can drop blood glucose, not blood pressure, but blood glucose. So that's, it's actually great for patients with neuropathy and with diabetes, but that's one thing we need to monitor. So I'll start patients Mm -hmm. 300, 600 milligrams, sometimes get up to 1200. Yeah. I usually start about 200, 300 milligrams of alpha lipoic acid. Yeah. But it, because it works on the liver, uh, it absolutely impacts blood glucose. Yeah. It's powerful. And then acetyl L-carnitine, I usually will start about 500 milligrams. Yeah, twice a day, once a day. Yeah. Awesome. We have a product called mitochondrial complex that is packed with all those antioxidants that I, I just yes. feel like I can't live without. It's a multivitamin that also has those. And when I was pregnant and breastfeeding, I couldn't take it because it helps with detox. And so I couldn't wait to right. be able to get back on it. And now I'm back on it. And I just, I feel better. I just, I have less mm-hmm. brain fog. My energy is better clearly because wow. it's fueling my mitochondria. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a big fan of those. Yeah. That has really helped me too um i just remember how i felt graduating from medical school and undergrad just 11 years of school do a lot to your body you know in a negative way and so yeah really supporting my mitochondria when i learned about all this i do feel better mentally uh energy wise than i had you know reflecting back on what it was like graduating med school so it's been really helpful for me as well yeah it's really it's good to hear we're so blessed to have these tools yeah <laughs> not everyone does and that's why we're sharing them with others <laughs> yes absolutely Could you be missing out on magnesium? If you aren't already taking magnesium, you likely should be. Our deficient food sources, caffeine consumption, stress, and exercise rob us of magnesium, which is an important cofactor for hundreds of processes in the body. It can calm your mind and ease your nerves to help you sleep at night and help reduce anxiety, PMS, and headaches. It can relax your muscles when you have cramps, your bowels when you're constipated, and it's required for energy, hormone production, and vitamin D absorption. If you're interested in exploring more about how magnesium can help support you living a longer, healthier life and the exact type of magnesium supplement to look for, check out my blog post, The Magnificence of Magnesium, found at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash blog. And use code magnesium for 10% off our magnesium chelate product at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now let's get back to the episode. Oh, 
let's talk about a nutrient known as NAD that I've been just more recently utilizing in my practice at the, I don't know if you went to the A4M conference last December, but there's a speaker, um, Chris Shane from Quicksilver spoke on NAD and I, that reminded me, Oh, I better start using this nutrient again because it kind of fell off my radar, but it is something that many of my patients are now asking me about. And it also can help with mitochondria. So tell us more about NAD and how you use it. Yeah, so NAD is one of these amazing molecules. It's a coenzyme, um, and we it's important for mitochondrial function. So it's an oxidation reduction uh, process, which is just a chemical reaction uh, for everybody listening. But it's involved really in the energy generation process. We know that as you age, your NAD levels decrease, and... I've also had patients ask me, can we test your NAD levels and uh, or mitochondrial function? There's some things we could do to maybe get a glimpse at mitochondrial function, but we can't actually like measure your blood level of NAD or anything like that. Or, you know, we can measure B2, like just plain, you know, yes. ribos, but not riboflavin. Yeah. And we can measure yeah. B3, right? Like niacin. Yes. Um, but we can't measure the specific form, like this NAD. We can measure niacin, but not this specific. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, and so NAD, uh, we should say just what it means. It's nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. So that's what that's, we call it NAD because nobody wants to say that all day long. Uh, but really what NAD does is it helps the brain's cells to age well um, and then we talked a lot about mitochondrial function in the a4m module for peptides and we talk about this molecule called pgc1 alpha so it's just a signaling molecule uh, but nad controls the signaling of pgc1 alpha and that uh, actually protects the cells against oxidative stress that process so when we give extra NAD or support the body to make more of its own NAD, we're producing that pathway, more NAD, more uh, PGC1-alpha, less oxidative stress, less cellular damage. So awesome. that's kind of the why behind NAD. And there's lots of different methods that you can administer NAD, so we can talk about cover those, that yeah. too. Yeah. Thanks. I think I've used all of them on myself at this point <laughs> that I know about. There's a there's an intranasal form uh, that you can actually. It's very bioavailable to the brain, crosses the blood-brain barrier, uh, and that one's combined, I think, with B12 and RG3, which is the red Korean uh, ginseng. Does it have to be compounded then? Is that a compounded nasal spray? It's a, it's a compounded nasal spray. TaylorMade used to carry it. I don't know that they do anymore. Sure. Uh, but there's, there's going to be places that other compounding pharmacies that make it. But the intranasal, I actually have really found that to be helpful with brain function. I've... Uh, I'm a morning coffee drinker and I, I will, I have used that in place of it before and found that just energy brain function is supported through the morning, through the day. Um, but I don't think that lasts. I mean, if you shoot it up your nose in the morning, yeah. <laughs> how, how long do you think the effects are going to last? You know, a couple hours, 
Yeah, at least at least a couple hours. And of course, the dose that you take intranasally is not the same that you would give IV or even topically. It's just kind of sure. hard to dose it as high. But for if it's very specific for brain, for somebody who is having uh, memory issues or, you know, early dementia-like symptoms, using that form can be a little bit more specific to the brain, which could be great, or even autism. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So I love that form. And then there's also... Uh, so we have our IVs, which is kind of where a lot of people have heard about NAD, the NAD IVs, uh, a lot of addiction centers. There's one in San Diego that I'm very familiar with, uh, the owner, and they use NAD for addiction protocols, for uh, you know aging brains preventatively, using it for patients who do have a formal diagnosis of neurocognitive decline like dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. Uh, so lots of potential uses. The NADIV, I'm sure you've had patients talk about the experience of the NADIV. Are you familiar with the side effects? Or are you talking about happen? flushing or are you? Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Flushing. A lot of times nausea, you know, they get, and I've experienced it kind of this, like your stomach flips, mm. you know, feeling when you get an NADIV and uh, the solution to that is to slow the drip rate or to start at a low dose. So when I give my patients NADIVs and I give myself them, I usually start at a hundred milligrams Sometimes 200, but usually I'll start at a pretty low dose. A lot of the therapeutic IVs that they're giving at addiction facilities are, it's like a four-hour drip, 500 milligrams. And that's a stomach-flipping IV. I mean, you yeah. will have to drip that really slow because you could feel pretty uneasy for that, that period of time if you don't. So starting at a lower dose is great for most people. And it's interesting because some people, some patients experience significant bursts of energy after that, and others will experience more fatigue. It could be due to some of the other things in the bag that help their detox pathways sure. and they're detoxing a lot. Uh, but the overall effects of the NAD is to help the mitochondria. If they're really in a depleted state, they might actually feel a little bit more tired. Most people feel energized. But it's hard to know how someone might respond to their first NADIV. So I don't know if you know the answer to this, but when I think of NAD, I think niacin, I think flushing. So would a patient who needs help with methylation, would this be contraindicated in? Because many times for overmethylation, we'll use niacin. So because of the concern that many patients have with MTHFR variants, that they need help with methylation, should yeah. we be cautious using NAD in those patients or not? Yes. You know, I'm not 100% sure because I, I don't, I'm not an expert in genetics, but I yeah. do believe that um, Dr. Ben Lynch, who's yeah. a naturopathic doctor, and he talks a lot about methylation. And I, yeah. I think he actually has some content out about NAD and methylation. So speaking of genetics, there are genes, because I have some of them, <laughs> that indicate <laughs> an individual might likely benefit even more from, from NAD. So that's also something that we can look into with determining, you know, the best antioxidants or the best, I, I should say the highest need for patients, like if they should take NAD or not. Yes. And I think that's really an important piece too, is if we can get confirmation that it's going to be more effective for them specifically, 
it's going to be more of an opt-in when, you know, when you can give sure. it to a patient black and white, this, you need this molecule and here's why I think it's, uh, it's easier to, to really give them that and, and have them continue taking it or sitting through an IV if that's what it takes. But we offer IVs at my practice, but we have not yet done any sort of high dose <laughs> of NAD. Sure. So it's good to know about yeah. the flushing. I have a sublingual version here, sublingual yes. kind of liposomal version. So that's all that I've recommended to this point, but we may have right. to try the nasal spray or the IVs. So those are good suggestions. Yes. <laughs> there's one more. So the, there's oh, sure. the, the sublingual. I actually have not tried the sublingual. So I would love to hear your experience with the sublingual. Well, I personally haven't taken it because I was breastfeeding. <laughs> I'm yeah. now done. But that's just the one that I've recommended in my practice. Yes. And only to a handful of patients who, you know, they read about NAD and they were so convinced it's going to help. Them. <laughs> uh, sometimes yeah. I think there's a bit of a placebo effect that goes into, <laughs> sure. goes into that. But so yeah. far, I've heard good things and not a okay. lot of side effects. Not Great. a lot of flushing. Yeah, I'm curious. Tell us about the, cool. the, the last route. Yeah, so there's one more route, and that's transdermal. And that's a patch uh, that goes on the skin. I actually, I'm peeling a little bit. Um, I put one on was it two days ago. Uh, and the patch is... So they actually send you the NAD uh, fluid, this similar stuff to what you inject. And there's a little absorptive pad that you put the NAD fluid on and then it's just a sticky it's an it's ion transport so if you put just the straight fluid on your arm and just let you know rubbed it in nothing would happen it's not bioavailable so we've had to develop a way to actually get it to absorb well into the skin and so it's uh, iontophoresis and ion transport system Uh, and generally I've found that most people tolerate it pretty well like the only people who really shouldn't use the patch is somebody who has so it works through electrical conduction so somebody the pacemaker sure um, you know probably not a good uh, individual probably not in pregnancy but really most individuals respond well to the patch and it's less expensive than an IV it's less time consuming you don't have to go into a doctor's office um, it's really a good option for many many patients I've had patients who are fibromyalgia chronic fatigue have a lot of benefit from the patches in combination with other treatments, uh, LDN, other things that we're doing sure. to really support them too. So, but yeah, I, uh, there's so many ways to take NAD. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> that was wonderful. Well, let's transition into talking about peptides. So first for my audience, uh, peptides may be and what you're about to speak about may be a different language <laughs> so let's oh break God. down what peptides are first and then we'll kind of talk about peptides for various things like mitochondrial function so what are peptides okay. yes so the analogy that i like to use something that everybody understands is you know when when you eat a piece of chicken or a piece of protein i like to uh, give the example of a piece of chicken. What your body does is it breaks it down through the digestive process. We have our stomach acid and um, all of our enzymes, pancreatic enzymes. Uh, but essentially, we have a protein in the chicken that breaks down to a peptide, and a peptide is just a subunit. It's like a train. So the train has many boxcars. All of those boxcars are amino acids. And then the smallest subunit is just a single amino acid. So we have the, the protein the peptide, 
and then the amino acid, the small subunit. And so uh, what peptides are, they're kind of that middle segment with lots of boxcars in a train. We can, you know, put together different combinations of those boxcars or those amino acids. And what that does is it sends a different signal sure. with different combinations. And so uh, the way that peptides work is they work through cellular signaling. We know that all of our cells are like a planet. Think about Mars. And Mars has a bunch of docking stations on it where spaceships can land. And so this is the best, you know, easiest way to envision what's happening with a peptide is, you know, the we inject or we take an oral form. There's lots of different forms of peptides, but it will bind to the cell just like a spaceship would on Mars and something would change inside the cell. And you know, to promote a process, to inhibit a process. Uh, in a lot of cases, we're talking about mitochondria, so we're supporting NAD, we're supporting the pathways for the mitochondria to protect itself, protect the cell. Uh, so peptides are just signaling molecules. They just send a signal. We know from lots of research, there's been research done on peptides in Russia since the 1970s and 80s. We have research on peptides like apitalon, which lengthen telomeres, uh, produce, help an individual to produce more of their own melatonin, which is really important as we age, uh, not only for sleep, but anti-inflammatory and immune effects. And so, we know these pathways. We know the pathway for hair loss, for stem cells in the hair follicle and what's happening. And so we can, we can go in and we can give peptides like um, PTD-DBM, which is a peptide for, that signals the stem cells in the hair follicle to wake up and still produce. Uh, there's all sorts of peptides that signal protective processes, uh, you know, helping the mitochondria, um, helping for collagen synthesis. There's a, literally a peptide for most everything. <laughs> yeah, there's a peptide for everything, but they're work through, they work through cellular signaling in essence. So one main complaint that I have from patients coming to see me is they want to lose weight, of course, and we want to optimize their thyroid and their sex hormones and get them on clean eating and help with reducing insulin resistance and detox the body. <laughs> there are multiple All steps things. in my you know longevity blueprint that I walk patients through, but I think adding peptides is a whole other layer that many patients have not yet been able to utilize. So can you speak to which peptides you use to help with, I say weight loss, but more or less body composition change, specifically getting rid of fat in certain areas and then how those are administered if they're injections or topicals speak a little bit to those peptides the top ones that you use i love that question oh so many good things to share <laughs> okay so uh one of my favorite peptides and i i work closely with a personal trainer in hollywood who refers a lot of women to me with this weight loss is their number one goal or body composition. They have to get in shape for, you know, some event or thing that's going on. And so I've been asked this a lot and, uh, you know, had a lot of feedback on peptides and, and experiences from patients with them and my own experience too. So the, the peptide combo, there's two peptides that I'd like to really, uh, 
use kind of as a first line for, and this is, this is after all of the, you know, dietary lifestyle, sleep, stress, cortisol, hormones, you know, we, we do that's first pillar. And to me, peptides are kind of next level. It's like once we've looked at uh, all of those and as much as possible helps to optimize the lifestyle pieces, then it's like, okay, let's add in the peptides. Sometimes adding in a peptide that helps deepen sleep, produce better energy, helps someone, it's a quick win. They get more energy to make those lifestyle changes. So, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, cat and a mouse thing. Sometimes it actually helps to boost their energy, get them in a better mental, emotional place, uh, increase their energy to make those lifestyle changes. But the two peptides that I like to use are CJC 1295 and ipamorelin. And those are just biochemical names that were given in the lab to these two peptides. Uh, one of them, well, both of them work on the pituitary. So uh, the CJC1295 is like the production. So if you think about maybe like uh, Target or a a store and you have the actual store that's producing all of these boxes. And then the ipamorelin is like the trucks that are delivering it to the body. That's the way that I like to think about it. So CJC increases production and is kind of the, uh, you know, shipping it out and making it available. Of growth hormone? Or yes. Of, okay. Just to of clarify. Growth hormone. Okay. Yes. <laughs> of growth hormone. So, uh, and they're working on the pituitary, uh, what they're really doing is helping your body to make more of its own. Very different than nortotropin, uh, you know, any sort of exogenous growth hormone injections, which a lot of clinics do uh, here in LA and, and around the country, where they're administering the exogenous form. So not the they're not helping your body to necessarily make more of its own. They're just injecting a separate source. Sure. And uh, you can run into a lot of trouble uh, doing that in terms of side effects, uh, you know, cardiac issues, acromeg. Like, there's a lot, there's a ton of side effects, and there's a, a time and place to use some of those exogenous uh, growth hormone uh, supplementation, but. For the average person, what we want to do is really just refine their body's ability to make more of it themselves. And this is not, a lot of people are worried about cancer. This is one of the biggest questions around some of these peptides and increasing growth hormone. It can increase IGF-1. But it really, it's so transient, the way that peptides do it. We're trying to mimic the natural rhythm, which is what we try and do with bioidentical hormones too try and mimic that natural rhythm of what's happening in the body and peptides are you know really you could term them bioidentical because it's really something that our body makes already sure. right uh like bpc 157 are you familiar with that specific peptide is that still available though or not yes yes but okay, that okay. could change soon uh it just depends where you source it from but okay. yeah yeah i there's a reputable source um that i have that's based out of la and there's there's a couple places but there's also places where it's not available anymore so there's a lot of changes fda wise uh with with peptides Sure. Yes. Unfortunately. Yes. New landscape with peptides for the listener. That just means what used to be available. Isn't 
some of what used to be available is not still available, um, but mm. practitioners like both of us are working to find um, some other solutions and alternatives for sure. I want to yes. go back to hair loss real quick because I think yeah. for those listening, uh, they may be interested in what they can do for their hair loss. So which peptides uh, do you use for hair loss? Um, even some other uh, modalities like microneedling or PRP or speak, yes. speak to that a little bit. Oh yeah. That's a huge topic. So I like to do, I do like to do the microneedling. So I have a microneedling pen at home. We have one at the clinic. Uh, and causing that kind of micro trauma to the area we know that that compounds the results of peptides when you combine the microneedling plus the peptides you get much better results so so people can apply the peptides topically uh or you there's one uh that you can inject for kind of collagen synthesis the ghkcu yep but they're more effective when done in a topical way with the microneedling so the ones that I love are this one called PTD DBM, which okay. is a really long, uh, they abbreviate it for a reason. <laughs> this is another one, uh, Velproic acid, which is very commonly used. There's a foam that you can apply after microneedling. And then the other one that I've used myself both topically uh, and injection is called GHKCU. So it's a copper peptide. And a lot of people, when they when we talk about, you know, just throw the word peptides out, they think, oh, the skin cream that I bought at Nordstrom's that has peptides in it. Uh, so, and it's, or they think collagen peptides, which is, yeah. you know, a supplement. Yeah. Um, similar idea, but different, different thing. Uh, so the GHKCU, I actually love... So that one really helps. Copper is really necessary for collagen synthesis and connective tissue, but a lot of uh, can really help with hair regrowth, with healthy skin as we age. Um, so it really, it depends. Usually I'll start with the GHKCU uh, and then microneedling. Topically? Or topically. Yeah. You could do it. You could do the sub Q injection of GHKCU, but I, I just start topically. Sure. Um, and then, yeah, because that pr- produces more of a systemic effect for women who really want to uh, create healthy collagen systemically. But if we were looking local for hair, yes, topically. Uh, Belproic acid has been one of the more effective things that I learned about through A4M for hair loss topically as well, combined with microneedling. Interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. So for those listeners who want to know a lot more about peptides, you actually have a free gift that probably is going to help. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So it's the pro-peptide diet. And it really is a way of eating to help our body to regenerate and help our you know tissue, our collagen, and our skin, our muscles to repair, looking at it from a mitochondrial perspective, as well as you know, what's happening with the signaling and how can we shy of injecting peptides or using some of these things that you'd have to uh, work with a doctor, how, to, how you can really eat and live in a way that promotes, uh, you know, health of your tissues, diet, lifestyle, sleep, red light, talk a little about a lot of those things. We probably could talk for another hour, but I'm sure <laughs> we could have you back on again to talk about more peptides. Yes. <laughs> um, so tell us what you think the, the 
average kind of cost of peptide therapy may be for some patients that probably varies dramatically, but yes. peptides are not cheap. They're <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're not, they're not cheap. They are. Um, so in LA, a lot of uh, it's comparable to what a man might pay for testosterone therapy on a monthly basis, like a bioidentical yeah. hormone yep. or for some women too, if they're on all three hormones. So sure. it's a, in the range of three to three fifty four hundred dollars a month. It depends on, it depends on the protocol, you know, like a pitalone is a 10 day protocol, but you dose it really high. So it's kind of expensive uh, for 10 days, but you don't do it every day, all day. And then uh, things like the CJC ipamorelin that's a usually about a three month on three month off. So it's not something that you're necessarily going to have to be on forever. Uh, but that one's about 300 to 350 a month, sure. depending on, yep. you know, if you buy three months or one month or so, yeah, but it's, but it's comparable to bioidenticals in, in, at least in LA, <laughs> maybe different around parts of the country. Sure, sure. Well, tell us where listeners can find you and follow you on social media and learn more about what you have to offer. Definitely, yeah. So they can find me uh, on my Instagram, which is Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R, spelled out, Amber N-D, like North Dakota. That's my personal Instagram. And then I have an Instagram just for peptides, and that's PeptideRx. So just peptide and then RX Uh, on Instagram. They can also look up. I have a Facebook group for peptides where people can ask questions. And I post a lot of PDFs and really helpful information about peptides. They can connect with me that way. I'm in the group. They can reach out uh, if they have questions about peptides that way. And then my website is uh, dramberand.com and they can, uh, book an appointment, you know, find out more about peptides there as well. So yeah, definitely happy to connect with anybody and talk about peptides. And there's, there needs to be more shared for consumers in that way. There's a lot for doctors, but I think uh, putting out more content about peptides for patients is a focus of mine. Well, thank you so much. That was a wonderful, likely intro to many of my followers on what peptides are. And there are are so many again. We'll just, we'll have to talk more in the future about about additional peptides. But thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your um, really wealth of knowledge with us on nutrients to support mitochondrial function as well as peptides. So thank you for your time being on the show today. I appreciate it. Thanks. Well, wasn't she a wealth of knowledge on peptides? Wow, I hope you learned a lot about peptides for body composition changes like weight loss, for hair growth, and even brain power. I hope you learned about how important the mitochondria are and how you can incorporate NAD into your supplement routine. I'll be sure to be incorporating more peptides into my practice. And don't worry, I'm going to be bringing on more speakers to further the peptide discussion. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, not only is the course 50% off, but you also get your first consult with me for free. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. 
I read all of the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, or how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thanks so much for listening. And remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.